So in light of Halloween, I, I thought it would be a good idea to kind of like jump out of our current series in the teachings of Jesus uh, and address an important and often for people, at least in our modern day, uh, neglected or even disregarded teaching of Scripture. And, and that is the subject, uh, the topic of spiritual warfare. Uh, the unseen, invisible, yet real and raging war uh, taking place between followers of Jesus and supernatural demonic beings. Uh, and listen, I don't intend to bash and ridicule Halloween tonight, uh, but one of my concerns with Halloween is that uh, this tradition has the ability to kind of numb, uh, desensitize us to the reality of evil. Uh, because when we watch horror movies, attend haunted houses, and, and see creepy decorations everywhere, it can make us think that this dark underworld of evil is all imaginary, all fake. And what I want to show us tonight is that it's not. And, and as believers, God has given us instruction, clear instruction, on how to defend ourselves and how to fight against the invisible supernatural forces of darkness at work in our world. Um, and so then to, to dig into this topic, this subject of spiritual warfare, uh, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18 for the next two weeks. And tonight we're going to be in verses 10 through 13. Uh, so let's go ahead and read our passage, pray and dig, dig in. Cohen, could you read verse 10? Uh, uh, Zach, could you read verses 11 through 12? And Danielle, could you read verse 13? Let's pray. Father, uh, we ask now that you would grant us spiritual wisdom and discernment uh, to understand and appreciate this truth that you're giving us tonight. Direct our hearts, lead us, guide us, uh, help us come to you now, Father, with open hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we study this passage, I kind of want to break it down in, according to three different truths or insights related to the topic of spiritual warfare. So if you've ever been to church here on a Sunday morning, uh, I'm going Highlander, for those of you who might get that. Uh, and in verse 10, the first insight I want you to know is the source, all right? The source of our strength, that is, where do we get strength? Where do we get power to fight invisible supernatural forces? Uh, where do we get that? And, and for context, verse 10, it comes near the end of this apostle's letter to a group of Christians in the city of Ephesus. And so it's, it's like the final thoughts, like Paul wants to leave them with this final message. And so look at verse 10 with me. Paul writes, finally, be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And so here Paul clarifies for us where, where our strength comes from. He says, in the Lord and in the strength of his might. In other words, God, God is the source of our strength. But I want to make this clear. This strength 
this power that comes from God and, and comes into us, it gets expressed and demonstrated in ways much different than what our culture associates with strength and power. See, some of you or, and some of us might think of strength, we think of assault rifles bombs and missile launching aircraft. Uh, some of us might think of MMA fighters and professional boxers. Some of you might think of Marvel superheroes and gifted athletes. But God's vision, God's vision of strength looks a little different than being bigger, faster, and stronger. And to find out uh, what Paul has in mind when he writes, be strong in the Lord, we just need to look at one other place where he uses that same verb, be strong. Uh, and it's in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, and I did include it in the cross-references this time. Look down there with me. Paul writes, I, he's talking about himself, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's the same verb. Put another way, Paul says in this passage, I can do all things in the strength of the Lord. And for Paul, the all things that he was talking about in this letter, it wasn't winning state or overcoming a huge deficit at halftime in some sports competition. Uh, rather, for Paul, all things looked like getting beaten and thrown into prison multiple times. Uh, it looked like going hungry and cold as he would travel hundreds and hundreds of miles on foot to preach the gospel. It looked like being hated and despised by the majority of people. And so then for Paul to be strong in the Lord is the type of strength that gives you the ability to sing songs of praise and rejoice in a cold, dark prison cell as you await your execution. It's the type of strength that empowers you to boldly preach the gospel the day after they beat you half to death. They thought you were dead. You get up and go to the next city and do it again. Uh, it's an otherworldly, unbelievable, how could you live like that? How could you live like that kind of strength? And for Paul, that's what it means to be strong in the Lord. It's not benching 225 in the gym, although I do that. Best believe. <laughs> Rep it. Okay, and to engage in spiritual warfare then, this is the kind of strength we need. We need a strength that comes from God. Now the question is then, how do we get it? Like, how do we get this power that Paul had? Well, Paul gives us the answer in verse 11. Look there with me. He writes, put on the whole armor of God. And so according to Paul, to access the divine power of God, we must put on his armor, his armor. And later in verses 13 through 18, and that's what we're going to cover next week, he's going to further unpack what's this armor, what's God's armor. But before he does so, he first wants to convince us that we need the armor. Because some of us aren't convinced that we need God's armor. And so Paul wants to convince us, and he does, does that in verses 11 and 12. Paul focuses on the identity of our enemy. And for those of you tracking, that's the second truth I want us to know as it relates to spiritual warfare. That is, who is our enemy? Who are we fighting against? And so go ahead and look back at verse 11 with me. Paul writes, put on the whole armor of God. And here's the purpose that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil. Uh, that's our enemy. Now, when we imagine the devil, I think most of us uh, might picture like this red guy. 
He's got a long, like, pointy tail. Uh, he's got two horns, and he sits on the side of uh, your shoulder here, and then he playfully argues with this cute little Tinkerbell-like angel on the other side. You know, they kind of banter back and forth. Uh, but that's not the picture we receive in Scripture. It's far more chilling and sinister. And so to correct our cartoon-influenced understanding of the devil, I want to read you some passages of Scripture. I just want you to kind of hear the New Testament speak about your foe, speak about the devil uh, and who is our real enemy. So I got the cross-references on your sheet, so be looking there with me. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 9, the gospel writer records how the devil tries to tempt Jesus. So this is the devil tempting the Son of God. And it says, verse 8, again, the devil took him, Jesus, to a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he, the devil, said to Jesus, all these, all these, I'll give you if you will fall down and worship me. And so from this scene then, what do we learn? What are we learning about the devil? It, he's a being who has supernatural power to give us fame, Power, money, if only we worship him. He has some kind of authority in this world where he is actually promising Jesus that reward. In verses eight, Luke 8, chapter 12, your next reference, while explaining his parable of the sower, uh, uh, Jesus says the ones along the path are those who have heard, they've heard the truth, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And here we learn that when you hear the word of God, when you're hearing the word of God right now, the devil is eager. He's working to snatch that truth from your heart. He wants you to be bored and he wants you to check out right now. He does not want the truth to come into your heart. He wants to snatch it. Why? What's his final goal? Why does he do it? So that you won't believe. So that you won't believe and be saved. In John 13, verse 2, the next reference, the apostle talks about how the devil influenced Judas, uh, one of the 12 disciples, to betray Jesus unto death. Uh, uh, John writes, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus. And so here we learn, what do we learn? The devil can put thoughts into our hearts. He can impress evil plans and motives upon us. And no, Judas was a man who walked with Jesus on earth. He's seen Jesus do miracles. He's seen Jesus uh, command demons to leave uh, demon-possessed people. And the devil still corrupted even him. And so what we learn here is the devil, he's a master at twisting and distorting our hearts and minds. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, the Apostle Paul writes, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't go to bed mad. Why? And give no opportunity to the devil. In other words, when we fight with our parents, when we complain and grumble and disrespect them, uh, whether we're fighting with our siblings or people at school or work, the devil's like, he jumps at that opportunity. He's eager to create division and hatred in your home, in your schools, in your church. He wants to break families up. He likes that stuff. That's what he's about. He takes the opportunity. In 1 Peter 5, 8, 
Uh, the apostle Peter warns the reader saying, your adversary, your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And if you guys know anything about lions uh, in the wild, they go after the weak. Uh, the, the wounded, the young, the vulnerable, and so does the devil. He has no mercy. He has no love. He's just lurking and waiting to devour us when we're at our weakest point. That's when he wants to come. And then in John chapter 8, verse 44, uh, when speaking to religious leaders, Jesus says this about the devil. The devil was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Students, as you can see, the devil is not this little jokester on your shoulder bantering with Tinkerbell Angel on the other side. According to scripture, he's a real, violent, serial killer and liar who seeks to deceive and destroy you and snatch the truth from your hearts even tonight. And even more, he's not alone. He rolls in packs. It's not just the devil. Look at verse 12. Paul writes, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, note the plural, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul says flesh and blood? <laughs> flesh and blood? People, human beings, you can shoot them. They're nothing. They're not the ultimate enemy. It's the invisible armies of darkness, the, the multitudes of evil, wicked, supernatural beings spanning the whole world, scheming and plotting together to put us in misery. That's the identity. That's the identity of our enemy. Not our parents, not your brother or sister, not people at school, not your coworkers or teammates. The devil and his co-workers are our most dangerous adversaries. So far then, we have discovered the source of our strength and the identity of our enemy. And now we turn to verse 13 to see the goal of our fight. That is, what is the ultimate aim of spiritual warfare? What are we going after? Look at verse 13. Paul writes, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And if you look back at verse 11, Paul uses that same language. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And so three times Paul notes that our aim in spiritual warfare is to stand, to stand. And it carries this idea of resistance, uh, holding our ground, pushing back and not giving up. And, and note in verse 12 how Paul emphasizes this same idea of resisting and resisting uh, how many times when he repeats the word against. Paul writes, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, against the spiritual forces of evil, against, against, against. And this way then Paul is pressing upon us that the Christian life is war. Is war. There must be resistance, a coming againstness. Believers don't lie down and let the devil uh, uh, have his way. They resist. They fight. And in verse 12, notice that Paul uses the word wrestle. 
That's, that's key. Wrestle to describe our resistance against the devil. The original readers, they'd have read that letter, they would have immediately thought and envisioned intimate, close, hand-to-hand combat. I can feel your breath on me where another person, another person tries to exert their will on the other. Uh, and, and this means that resisting the devil isn't easy. And if you have ever denied a temptation, if you have ever resisted this pull to sin, then you know it is a wrestling match. It is hard. It doesn't feel good. It takes sacrifice. Look at verse 13. That's exactly what Paul says. He explains the extent to which we must be willing to go in order to stand. Paul writes, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And note this, having done all, having done all to stand firm. Soldiers pursue victory at all cost. They're willing to sacrifice their limbs, their organs to overcome the enemy. They'll lay down their own life. And so war brings about a type of desperation uh, in a soldier's heart, a steely determination to get the job done. A I will do whatever it takes to get it done type attitude. Whatever it takes. And that same kind of attitude is what it takes to stand against the devil. A half-hearted, nonchalant approach will come to a deadly end. And notice how many Christians will complain about the state of their spiritual life. They complain that they feel defeated and they feel helpless. And they're just unable to resist the temptations of the devil in the world. And they feel so defeated. But I want to ask them the question, I want to ask you, have they done everything to stand firm? Have they done everything? And if honest, they would probably admit they have not gouged out eyes. They have not cut off hands, but instead they've welcomed the temptation in their life. They've given full reign. They made it their buddy. Students, the key to standing firm in war is I will do what it takes attitude. I will get it done. I will give up certain friends. I will give up internet. Shout out Caleb Ruda for 30 days. I will give up certain music. Shout out to my D group. Uh, I will stop watching YouTube. I will break up with my boyfriend or girlfriend. Whatever it takes, the devil will not have me. He will not. Having done all to stand firm, Paul says. All. My discipler in college, Dr. Sauer, uh, he's taught the Bible for over 34 years. I've learned so much from him. And uh, some of you have met Nigel. And we always talk about, this is a good friend of mine who's also a pastor. And we'll talk about, we don't want to be on his hall of shame. Um, And it's a list that Dr. Sauer could tell you of stories of young gifted uh, believers who, who they came to Bible college. Uh, uh, they, were, they loved and, and they wanted to serve God. They were excited and passionate about Jesus just like you. They were passionate about Jesus just like you, just like me. But in the end, they didn't stand. They fell away. And so will we and so will you if you don't put on the full armor of God, which we're going to talk about next week. Brothers and sisters, I fear for your souls. I don't want you to be on the hall of shame. I don't want to see you years later and see you run down and defeated by the devil. 
And so I plead with you, stand firm. Have an I'll do whatever it takes approach to your spiritual life. Wrestle, resist, fight back. Now, there's something interesting in this passage that I want to point out to you. Isn't it curious that the goal of spiritual warfare for the Christian is not to conquer and defeat the devil? That's not the goal. It's to resist the devil. Why is that? Well, Paul gives us the answer earlier in the letter. So he starts off with this before he gets to this point in the letter. And that is Jesus already defeated him. That's his answer. You don't need to conquer and defeat the devil. It's already done. Look at that last reference on your sheet. Chapter 1, verses 20 23 of Ephesians. When praying for these believers, this is a prayer of Paul. Paul says that God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at, the, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. Students, take heart in this battle. Jesus, our loving Savior, the perfect sacrifice, holy and blameless for our sin, he reigns over heaven, earth, and hell. He is Lord, he is King. The demons obey him. They shudder in his presence. And he is coming again. And until he does, we wrestle, we stand, we push back, we put on the full armor of God. I can't wait to get into that next week with you as we wait for his return. But Jesus has already defeated them for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, please spare them Please have mercy on them. Please have mercy on us all, Father. Keep us in the faith. Let us resist the scheming and plotting of the devil. Let, them, let the devil not snatch this truth from their heart. I pray that they're haunted by it forever, Father. That they have a foe and that their only hope is your son, who is Lord over all who's died for their sin so that the devil can never, ever accuse them, but they're clean and washed and blameless before you. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you. Let us rest in his love for us and his grace for us as we fight this battle. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.